Welcome to The Lamppost in the Woods, the podcast that shines a light on the significance of the greatest stories ever told. From fairy tales to literary classics to the parables of Jesus, these stories have influenced the lives of countless people and still do. Here at The Lamppost in the Woods, we journey through the great books, dramas, poems, and stories to find what they have to say for our lives today. I'm your host, Dinah Koppel, and joining me in this fellowship are Benjamin Koppel, Jennifer Malik, and Evan Zenobia. Welcome everyone to Season 2, Episode 2, 2021 Reading Review. Now, we've said it before, but we like to read fiction on this podcast. I mean, you know that, right? If you're listening to this podcast, you most likely like to read fiction, and you know that those of us that are on the other side of the microphone like to read fiction as well. And while the four of us definitely read a lot for the podcast last year... We wrote a whole bunch of stuff for the podcast last year. Um, we all, we like to read. So we all found time to read some other fiction as well. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about our favorite and best books that we read in 2021. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I like getting book recommendations from people. I don't like getting book recommendations from just anyone, but if it's someone that I trust Someone that I know that we're going to like similar things. They're my friend and we're we're on the same level with those types of things. I like getting book recommendations from them. So I'm going to enjoy getting some book recommendations from you guys um, today. And so hopefully our listeners, if you've been listening to us, you'll want to hear what, what books that we liked and hopefully get some book recommendations from us today. Because I have a feeling that those of us that are listening or those of you that are listening enjoy a lot of the same types of things as we do and enjoy some of the same types of books. So we're going to do our best to give you some good, big, uh, some good book recommendations today. And now just a heads up that we're going to do our best to remain spoiler free in this episode, but just letting you know that uh, some spoilers could potentially come up. We're going to do our best not to, but if they do, we'll try to tell you right before that we're going to be giving a spoiler for those of you that spoilers bother you. I know some people and they, they like to read spoilers before they read stuff or before they watch movies, but if you're not like that and you don't like to read spoilers, we are going to do our best to have you covered today. So <laughs> let's dive right into it. So to start us off on our discussion today, I'm going to give our first question to you, Benjamin. Tell us what your favorite first time read was of 2021. Because I know you like to reread a lot of books like I do, but what was your favorite thing that you read in 2021 that was your first time reading it? Well, that's actually an easy one for me this year. It was... A short little book, almost it's almost a novella, and it's called Shane by Jack Schaefer. Now, I don't know what happened last year, but I got into, like, on a big Western kick. I watched a bunch of old classic Westerns, and I started trying to find some, some books to read, too. And one of the first ones I read was this book called Shane. And uh, there is a movie that was made in, like, the 50s of it, and it's supposed to be, like, one of the greatest movies of all time. I watched it. I thought it was really corny. But I watched it after the book, and I, and the one of the reasons I thought it was corny because it it very much kind of the movie had this old, the very old, very classic Hollywood actor feel. But the book was a very, I felt was a very deep and nuanced portrayal, essentially of manhood, and of courage, mm. and of strength, and, and it was written. I let me look real quick. It was written like. So 1949. So this was uh, text copyright is 1949. So this was in the in the years after World War II when there were a bunch of different hero tropes and there's a bunch of real life heroes that just come back from war. And uh, I don't know if this author was influenced by that or if he was in war, uh, went to war himself. But the story the story is told from the point of view of like a 13 year old. I can't remember exactly how old he is. I wanted, I felt he was like 13. Maybe he was a little younger, but he's like 10 to 13, something like that. That, And you get the idea that he's telling this story from years and years past, and he's reflecting on it. And essentially what happens is this, this uh, gunman rolls into town one day on his horse and very mysterious, classic kind of trope, and nobody knows anything about him. And he comes up to this farm where the kid lives and he and he asks for a job basically and he helps these people and and over the next summer uh it's it's a decent amount of time that this guy is there he helps him as a farmhand all while the cattle rustlers are kind of 
going crazy and there's this rich guy with this huge cattle ranch and he wants to take over everybody's land and all the farmers kind of have to band together. Uh, and essentially what happens is these are people who are trying to make this new world out here, but there's this, the bad guy is trying to keep it like the Wild West. He shoots a couple people, he roughs some people up, and essentially what the story is is a build because you know this guy, they give you a hint at the beginning, this guy Shane who comes in, he never has a first name, he's just or, or a last name, he's just Shane. We know that this guy is a like a gunman. Beyonce. He just yeah. has like one name or Kobe. Well, he has another name too. You can just call him yeah. Kobe. Um, just known by his one name. But the whole story is a build because you know this guy is a gunman, and it's like he keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed till the end of this story. And I don't want to ruin this one because I do think it is an important ending. But eventually, this this man is pushed to the point where he has to do what do what gunmen do. Uh, but it's this, it's this, I think a great story of, uh, of manhood and this boy watching this, this gunman, but also his father. It's kind of interesting. Most stories like this, the father would be gone and the gunman comes in as the father figure. That's not what happens here. The boy has a really, really good father who's, who protects him, who's a hard worker, who takes care of him, who, who is courageous. Um, but it's like these two types of men, this, this man from the old world, this gunman who was like, from the Wild West and his father who's trying to build a town and to be a farmer and kind of create this new, you know, this new world that, that people were creating out in the West. And the interplay between the two, these two men, the father and the gunman, is some of the best, the best character interaction that I have ever read in a book. Uh, and I wanted to read at least one quote. And I like this quote and and I'll tell you guys why. Uh, this is after the gunman first comes around and everybody can kind of tell by the way he carries himself that there's something different about this guy. And and the quote says, he's dangerous, all right, father. Father said it in an amusing way. Then he chuckled, but not to us, my dear. And then he said what seemed to me a curious thing. In fact, I don't think you ever had a, ever had a safer man in your house. And I thought that was interesting because that quote, he's dangerous, but not to us, that reminds me of, I uh when we read, when we talked about uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, where, where the characters I, I talk totally about Aslan. I totally know what you're going to say. They talk yeah. about Aslan. They say, well, <laughs> then they talk, well, he's not a tame lion. And then we mention in the Silver Chair mm -hmm. when, uh, I can't ever get everybody's names confused. Jill. Uh, Jill. Yeah, is, Jill. Thank you. She's there and she sees the lion and she asks him, you know, will, will you devour me? And he says, I've devoured many people. I've devoured worlds and nations. Mm -hmm. But, like, she still trusts him because because he's Aslan was dangerous. But in a good way, and that's and that's what that's yeah. that's how they portray this guy. He's a dangerous man, but not to people who are doing right or doing good. He's a dangerous man who has it under control. And if you want to put it, maybe it sounds kind of corny to put it, evil doers. He's dangerous towards evil doers. But that I just I just thought that would that fit for our podcast and some of the stuff we talked about. That's what that's like what a real strong man is who's dangerous, but not to us, you know. Like a soldier, nice. a soldier, a highly trained soldier is dangerous, mm -hmm. but he's dangerous to en to the enemies, uh, people who are who are trying to attack his country, and I just I, that kind of nice. encapsulates some of the feeling that that the characters have, and then of course there's like some great shootouts and all that kind of cool stuff in the western, <laughs> uh, but that for sure was my favorite first read, and I and I'm gonna it's gonna be one that I may read multiple times, maybe even once a year because it's very short. Uh, but shame well, you've, by Jack especially Schaefer. with it being short you've you may you may have sold me on that one because I have I've never really read anything within the western genre mm -hmm. in fact like, I, I guess really I'm thinking either. through I mean Until we know that year. that's mm -hmm. we know that that's a genre in film but I guess Same. I don't think of it as being a genre in books you know mm -hmm. so I'm gonna have I to I read my first western last year phone. too so nice what, what, what was, was that, that? yeah, yeah. Uh, that one was news of the world by huh Paulette Giles. It actually got turned into a movie uh, with yeah. Tom Hanks. So I yeah. haven't seen the movie I've yet. Oh, I've heard of that. I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. Nice. But the book was wonderful. And that was one that I was completely surprised by. One, because anyone who knows the type of books I read, I definitely do not read Westerns. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it was it was definitely something that was outside of my genre. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I had just picked it up at a secondhand bookstore. Goes to show that you never know what 
what kind of gold you can find in a used yes, bookstore. Treasures. And yeah, I picked it up. It's an easy read. It's short. I don't know if this is a common theme among Western books, that Western books are short. But <laughs> I would not. say this is... It's yeah, not. Because yeah. I read a couple this year that it's were not... pretty long. They were pretty long. Okay. <laughs> then never mind. But I, the short, yeah, but I don't the, know. But, but, it's... but the short one is like movie length almost. You can make it into a movie easily, which makes sense for the one you read. Mm. Right. Well, and we've right. talked about this before, but I think shorter novels or like novellas tend to make better movies because if it's much longer than that, like if it's something like Harry Potter or anything mm-hmm. we talked last time about Charles Dickens, a lot of those are so long that like to squeeze it into a two, like an hour and a half, even two yeah. hour movie, it just doesn't work, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think like right. the perfect length probably is a novella or something like a Christmas Carol. That's something at that length mm-hmm. makes like a perfect, a perfect film. Yeah. Well, it's a standard screenplay, like a hundred pages plus. Yeah, I mean, this is. I don't think they're incredibly huge. So Shane's a hundred. My copy is 168 pages, and it's like pretty decent sized print. Like on the page, it's not real. Mm. It's not real small or anything. Mm -hmm. So you could probably read it in a few hours. Nice, good, Evan. What was your favorite thing that you read? It can be you know first time reader or reread because rereads can be rereads are are awesome. Reading books that you that you've read before. So what was your best thing for for 2021? Well, so in I had the I had the um, I had a really good time. I got to actually attend King Lear in like stage production this year, this last year, and wow. so That's in cool. preparation for that, I read King Lear, and I was I, even though I will say this with as with Shakespeare, like I don't always understand everything that's going on, and King Lear especially was <laughs> one of those where I'm like. There's a lot of literal insanity going on in these pages. Like, <laughs> like there's yeah. it, it's Definitely. there's over there's always that character that's over dramatized, and that was King Lear, very much so. Um, but it was such a comedic role that I don't feel like you get a whole lot of. Like, I think there's a really nice balance that Shakespeare provides in drama and and actual comedy because it was written to be acted out, right? And so you get this comedy in something that is classically represented. Um, and it was just, it was nice to see in in something that I read where I'm like, wow, I'm like laughing at how ridiculous this character is, how, how they view the world. Like it, everything is so very dramatic for these people. And it feels like they're almost, you can tell that they're kind of like the subject because everything is just, happening to them in such a way that makes I, the person viewing it laugh even though it's horrible yeah. for this person <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's written in such a way that I'm like there's such a great balance of drama and comedy um, and then again so getting to see it later that week acted out by like some incredible stage performers um, was just I, I don't know it, again having those things come to life it's like when you read a good book and, and then the movie does it justice right um, I think yeah. reading The yeah. Lord of the Rings, right? And then you see it in film, extended edition film. You know yeah. what I mean? You're like, wow, not- here's everything <laughs> yeah. I imagined, Extended edition right? is the yeah. only version. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's interesting with Shakespeare because, and we talked a little bit in our last episode about how what makes a classic is the fact that, like, it can transcend time and it can still apply to people regardless of, of like the time period that you live in. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I normally think of that as like deep emotion, but I, but I don't always think of, think of it as like humor transcending mm. hundreds of years, you know? Yeah. And Shakespeare wrote comedies. And so it's funny to think that like mm-hmm. hundreds of years ago, people would have been laughing at something that now in 2022, now we can still laugh about like, that's pretty incredible to be able to not only to give to have like that emotion transcend all that time, but to be able to make someone laugh at something after hundreds of years, you know? And then getting to like Pretty incredible. see it as a, like you read it and you read it a certain way in a certain time period. And then for them, like, again, when I saw it acted out, it was almost like it was happening in like the 1980s with like an all African American mm. cast. And it was set like in Africa for them. Like it was so cool to see that again, I think as a classic, it's able to be retold in a number of, of formats and, and with different characters, they're dressed up a different way. You know what I mean? So all of that was just really, right. it was really compelling and brought everything to life that I had already read. So That's awesome. I love it. One of my okay, things okay. that Before, I read that was real probably... Quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. Before we move <laughs> on from King Lear, just, I, I got to make this yes. comment. Um, 
I'm assuming by the way Jen and Don have reacted that I'm the only the person who's read King Lear on this uh, podcast. Would that be a correct assumption? Yeah, probably. Okay, no, I don't okay. think I've read that because one. I'm, through a stage I'm just telling you guys a bunch of them, but I don't think I don't. Th- I never thought. Yeah, I don't think Ben was any like book. laughing over here, and I'm like. <laughs> I don't think there's any work of fiction that I've heard so far to me that encapsulates classic Evan than King Lear, because it is. <laughs> what? It is, oh, now I have it to is, read it. It is. Yeah. It is I know. He's right. He's right. There is definitely like a, a level of comedy and all these weird stuff, but it's one of the. It may be the most tragic uh, Shakespeare play, in my opinion, and it's also it's it's like a mix of gory, insane comedy, and that that's like that's like. Just, so so I so I want to ask this Evan. Yeah, it's super um, weird. It's super weird. There's a <laughs> yeah. There's a two scenes I want to ask you because you said you watched it too. How did they do the yes. scene where they gouged out Gloucester's eyes? Mm, no, they really they scene, really did that. There's a scene where like the one guy gets his eyes gouged out. Yeah, by, they by actually did that. <laughs> okay. How? Okay. How, yeah. I mean, I don't know if he had like little blood packets in his hands. Did you go backstage like, and ask? Oh my gosh! And then, Were and you then, close enough to see it, Evan? Yeah, yeah. There is a very famous scene where, as Evan said, King Lear is going insane, and he runs out mm-hmm. naked oh. into a rainstorm. Uh, how did they do that scene? So he was in. He was in like um, the best way I can describe it is like a tattered. Um, like we talk about Scrooge, right? In his like nightgown, like that's how I imagined yeah. it. It's like what a king would wear underneath his royal garments, mm-hmm. and he was kind okay. of just in that. Um, and it was made to be tattered and all that, but it wasn't. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a literal naked man running across. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure. So. That, in the okay, play, that reminds me of the pretty... Emperor's new clothes. Yeah, exactly. Oh goodness, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty. I think I it's have heard pretty, of that scene though. Now that you're, I think saying it's pretty. I was like, he's he's crazy, and he runs out in this rainstorm and has like this this scene, like mm-hmm. existential crisis scene, and he's naked. So I get just it is it it, it is kind of funny. You know, and and he has a fool. He has a well, fool with him fair, that, like, that like goes along with him, and the guy's out there with him in the rain, like kind of answering him, like in this back and forth. Yeah, and it's just like it's ridiculous. Well, and, to, and to be fair, my comment about Shakespeare with comedy wasn't necessarily directed towards King Lear, but that that was I know <laughs> we know him for his tragedy, but that was a lot of what he was known for was yeah. his comedies. Think of stuff like A Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, so I guess that I was thinking of, just to be fair, not that I'm saying that that type of stuff is, is humorous or anything, but yeah. yes. No, no, yeah. Everyone, no, but, definitely but, but add King Lear to your... I think it's mm. supposed to be okay. a tragedy, but he's right. It does have, like, this, like, layer of, like, insane, like, in, like insane comedy, because King Lear is, like, he's going insane. He does all this stuff that's funny, but I think the point is it's funny and terrible at the same time. And then I guess it's Shakespeare, so I guess we mm-hmm. didn't have to worry about spoilers, but I guess I won't spoil the ending. But the ending, <laughs> in my opinion, is like the most tragic ending of of any Shakespeare. Yeah, because he died. That I've that I've read, that I've read. I mean, I mean, <laughs> really? I, I no, no, no. In Shakespeare, my. all of Shakespeare. Well, oh, literature, in Shakespeare. Well, Shakespeare. I was going to say in all too, literature because that's... it's Shakespeare. But it's really for me of what I've read. It may be yeah. the most tragic. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think, what, I think he's right. It's one of those. I don't know. if... I don't know if we should spoil it or not, but it's Shakespeare, so it's like 500 years old. Honestly, I feel like that's fine. I'm going to make the call. You you can spoil that. You can spoil that. The Shane, I feel like enough people don't know about that one. You shouldn't spoil it. But King Lear, I feel like you can spoil. Go for it, because now I'm really interested. I, I feel like, okay, this I mean, is why... You don't have to if you're... This is why hey, if it's you're a, dedicated, I guess you don't have to spoil This is why it's really it. tragic. Okay, so spoiler alerts. Like, well, you can pause this and, and, and come pick back up in 20, 30 seconds. But the reason it's so tragic is Lear <laughs> does not die. He yeah. does not die. Aww. Okay? He doesn't okay. die. But he has three daughters. The older two are suck-ups, oh, no. and they try to kill him. The third is the youngest one, and she won't suck up to him, and she's the one who's loyal. But in the end, she dies. And it's like, and it's Aww. literally it's literally like if he had been 60 seconds earlier the executioner wouldn't have executed her. And he comes out with mm-hmm. carrying her body and he collapsed oh. on the stage with his dead daughter. He should have died, but he didn't. And she's the one who dies. I thought that was really tragic. Wow. I, mean, I thought that was way more tragic than Romeo yeah, and Juliet. Yeah, well, because he comes back. That's his, extremely tragic. Yeah, he, that His really mind tragic. comes back. Like, he's sa- he becomes sane yeah, he again, really, he realizes it, and yeah, yeah. And so, like, too so late. I'm sure that... <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like shows too like like what really is the bigger tragedy, right? The fact that he was insane, and the fact that now he's not sane, and he and he realizes his loss or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like like most stories, like with the main character, like they go through process and then they learn. They when they when they figure Mm -hmm. it out they've been an idiot, they learn, and then the ending, like they get a good ending because they learn and they change and they fix it. But he learns learns and he changes and he fixes it. But then he but then he doesn't fix it in time, and he he still gets punished for everything he did. It's really, it's really yeah. rough. I thought it was really rough. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's so sad. I know, exactly. <laughs> Too bad. Oh, man. Um, mm-hmm. Jen, why don't you Sorry, give but... us one of, your, one of your picks? Now that we've spent a good amount of time yeah. on the depression of King Lear. Good amount of time. You know what? To get us out of this depressing thought, I'm going to bring something that's a little more wonderful good and idea. enjoyable. Good so, idea. Yeah, it is a good idea. <laughs> so... One of the books that I read for the first time last year was called 84 Charing Cross Road. And this is an epistolary novel. And you all know I love those with my (laughs) all-time favorite book being The Guernsey, Literary Potato Peel Pie Society. So I was interested and I'm like, oh, I want to, I'm going to pick this up. And it's a very short book. You can literally read it in an hour or two. But it's really fun because it's about this woman named Helene Hamp. And she is corresponding with a man in England who she gets all her books from. And she lives in New York. And she has to get all her books from this particular bookshop, which happens to be on Charing Cross Road. And they just develop this friendship. And there's a correspondence going. And they're just passing letters back and forth. And then she gets letters from the other bookshop staff. She gets letters from his wife and daughter. And it's just really fun. They just develop these friendships through letters. And there's so many good quotes in it. Um, And one thing, I was trying to think, okay, why do I love epistolary novels so much? And I think one thing, for those who don't know, I love, love, love letters. I love letter writing. That is one thing that I think is probably lost in 2022. You know, I feel like a lot of people don't write letters like they did back in the 40s and 50s, even, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And I think that's kind of something that with letters, you have to be more intentional, right? Like you have to sit down, Mm -hmm. you have to spend time, like you actually have to be more thoughtful. Whereas like if you just send a text to someone, I mean, anyone can do that without really even thinking, right? But I feel like with a letter... From personal experience, sometimes I send text messages without thinking. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) We all do. We all do, right? (laughs) But I think with a letter, like you actually have to sit down, you have to take time, you have to be intentional with it. And I think there's just something really beautiful and meaningful about that. And that's why I love stories with letters involved. And I know like for me, that's something when someone sends me a letter, it's like one of the most joyful things, especially because I think it is like a loss art, you know, and especially as an adult where all you're receiving day in, day out is bills. And then you get a letter in the mail (laughs) and it's just... (laughs) Yeah, it's just it's just the most wonderful thing. So, yeah, I've I've been I have a couple of people I still am pen pals with that I've been writing for years, and it's just something that we've kept up. And you know, we send text messages and call each other too. But I think there's just something more meaningful about long letters to one another. Um, and there's some really really good quotes in the book, and so I just wanted to read one. Well, I could read a lot, but. One of the things she says is she always had this longing for London. She wanted to see London. And she says, I wanted to see London the way old people want to see home before they die. I used to tell myself this was natural in a writer and book lover born to the language of Shakespeare. So bringing back to uh, Shakespeare a little bit. But I think what's (laughs) so (laughs) for anyone who's been to London, which I know Dinah and Ben have. I don't know if Evan has. Have you been in London, Evan? I have not. Okay. Well, for anyone who has been to London, and even if you haven't, you can probably imagine that the history there is just so wonderful. Like walking through the streets of London, um, it does kind of feel like home because we've all grown up with these stories that we've read for years and years and years. And I think that's where a lot of literature was birthed. And so it's just so wonderful. And another thing she says is when she does get to London is history, as they say, is alive and well and living in London. And I think I can truly just testify to that walking through London. Like I remember one time when I was walking through London and you have these buildings that were built 20 years ago. And then right across the street is a church that was built in 680 AD. 
And you just can't get that anywhere else. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, other parts in Europe, but especially in the U.S. because we're such a young nation. And so I just I think it's such a fun novel. And there is actually a sequel to that book where she finally does get to go to London and gets to meet all the people that she had been corresponding with for years. So highly, highly recommend. Yeah. And and that's unique too. Um, Novels that are written as epistolaries are interesting because... I would think as a writer, that would be a little bit of a stretch to tell a story that way because you don't have mm-hmm. the same freedom that you would because you people are telling the story, but it has to be something that someone would actually tell in a letter, you know? So it's it's definitely an interesting way to tell exactly. the story. It's, it's a cool, different way of, of looking at it. But yeah. my yeah. recommendation I want to give you guys is I don't think anyone's read this one before. And I read this um, early um, last year. It's called Homegoing by Yagi Yasi. Hope I'm pronouncing her name right. And it was such um, it was such an interesting way of telling a story because what it does is it spans about 300 years and it starts with two half-sisters in Africa in like the 1700s. And I can't remember what country in Africa, um, two half-sisters, Afia and Essie. And it's the book is about their descendants. So one of the sisters stays in Africa and marries a white man and one get and the other one gets taken um, on a slave ship and to the U.S., and um, her children are dis- or her descendants are slaves. And so there'll be a chapter about the one sister, Ifia, the one who stayed in Africa. Then there's a chapter about Essie. And then it goes back and forth between the descendants. And so there's like a family tree in the front. And so it goes through like 300 years, but there's one chapter on each descendant and it goes back and forth. So it's almost like a collection of short stories because what's tying it together is you know that it's this one family tree that's that's carrying through but all you get about each family member each person is like is one chapter it's like 15ish pages maximum and it was just it was really good it was unexpected because i guess when i read it i you know you read the back of the book and i was like oh it's about these two sisters and their lives but i didn't realize it was going to go all through history so like the last chapters are basically present day um and it was good i mean it's it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Anything about slavery is going to be heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. And there's some pretty deep stuff in it and some pretty harsh stuff. But uh, such a cool way of telling the story. And so, just so poignant and definitely, like, pulls at you. Like, that one definitely stayed with me for a while after I read it. So, check out Homegoing. I definitely recommend it. It's a newer book. Like, it came out 2020, I think, at the earliest. Is when there, is it the, sorry, at the, the latest when it would have come out. It came out either 2020 or 2021. I read it early last year, so I definitely recommend that book. So what about, are there any books that you guys read um, that were rereads? Because sometimes there's books that you read that it's like, you just read over and over again because you love, but sometimes there's books that's like you read them in the first time, you might not like it as much, and then you read it a second time, and it just really hits you a different way. Did anyone have any rereads that were really good this year or last year? No one had any good rereads. Okay. I did. I, mean, I was just waiting to see if anyone wanted oh. to go. <laughs> <laughs> jump on it, Jen. Okay, I'll jump on it. I read a book that I hadn't read in like 11, 12 years since I was in high school. And it was The Forgotten Garden by Kate Morton, which just to let everybody know, Kate Morton is my all-time favorite author. I've introduced her to so many people. I introduced her to Di- I introduced Kate to Dinah. It's almost yes. kind of like when you want you have this friend and you just want to introduce your friend to everybody. That's how I feel about Kate Morton. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, her her work is incredible. But it was fun to read the Forgotten Garden because her books are mystery novels, and so picking it up, having read it now twelve years later. I, I literally had, I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen. And so that's what I think is really fun to reread her books, especially if it's been years since you've read it, because mm-hmm. you don't see where the mystery is going. And she, out of anyone right. I've read, has the most plot twists out of everyone. Her books are like 500, 600 pages. And I've had times with a few of her books, I've gotten to like page 500 and I'm still can't figure it out. And then she brings some plot twist and you're like, what? It was that person or this is what <laughs> happened. So I highly recommend to our readers, if you haven't yet already, to read Kate Morton. She is wonderful, and she was just as delightful as when I first picked her up when I was 15. I would also, I would concur, I would definitely recommend Kate Morton as well. A bit of historical fiction thrown in there with mystery, which those are both, like, perfect, like, my wheelhouse mystories and historical fiction. You put those together, and that's Mm going to be, like, my perfect book, which is great. Um, 
a reread that I read last year. Now, I'm going to sound like a broken record because you guys know how much I love Agatha Christie and I keep talking about her. So maybe eventually you guys will read her because I don't know if any of you guys have really read her, but she's amazing. I've read one and, of her books. Um, yeah, okay, one. That's, there's like that's 66 more than Evan of them, ben, I think. 66 I think. novels. So you, yeah, there's definitely more to go with. <laughs> but um, <laughs> one of the podcasts that I, that I listen to, one of my favorite lit podcasts is called um, All About Agatha. And essentially the, the hosts go through and they're reading and ranking every single one of Christie's novels in the order that they were published. And so they got to the book called Endless Night. And I remember reading this one years ago. I, I can't remember how long ago it was. And I remember not really liking it, just thinking there wasn't anything special about it and not really caring for it. And so when I knew that that was the one that was going to come up, because I, I, I read them along the podcast, they read them on the podcast and then I read along with them and I read it. And I absolutely loved it. Like, it was incredible. Like, I got to the last page and I was just like, what? Like, I knew what was going to happen. And I knew you knew who done it. I knew all that from the very beginning of the book. <laughs> but reading it again, I was just, like, at the end, I just had that, like, oh, my goodness. I can't believe that just happened. And because, I mean, I love Akka the Christie. She's just incredible. Um, and the way, it, it's like, in her book, this was one that she wrote later in her career. And, and and so the stuff that she was doing in it, like her, not plot twist, but her tropes that she used, used in it, it, it wasn't ones that she'd never done before. Like she'd done all the stuff before. And if you tell it, you can say it in like a sentence and it sounds so obvious, but then you read mm -hmm. it and you're like, what? Mm -hmm. uh, so it just goes to show you that you never know if there's maybe an author you like and you've read a book by him or her and you're like, eh, I don't, I didn't love it. You never know what's going to happen when you reread something. I mean, it could be mm. the other way around True. where you might read something at one point and love it and then pick it up later. And it's like, why did I like this? But that was <laughs> one that I absolutely, that really held up as a reread. And I'm so glad I reread it because otherwise I, I would have lived my whole life thinking I didn't like it when I, it, it's absolutely incredible. Mm. And I don't really want to say anything much about it because it's spoilers, but it's, and with Agatha Christie, that definitely will spoil it. But I definitely recommend that. Anything that you guys read that maybe you were really excited to read, but either you were disappointed by it or it didn't really live up to its hype? So, um, my, my wife is a huge fan of The Outsiders by Essie Hinton. And I'm not going to lie, like getting into it, um, like I thought it was going to be a lot of I thought it was going to be a lot of fun because it's like the the typical, like what you imagine these like greasers, like leather jackets, like huh. a, a group of guys palling around and like, and so initially I was kind of captivated by this ideal, um, but then getting into it, it, this is, this is bad because I feel like this is me <laughs> reflecting on a lot of these books that we talk about. I'm like, it just ended up being this this uh, it's always a tragic look at the the you know the people that are stuck in the loop of life and tragedy <laughs> and and i was like Depression. really like you just can't like you can't like put your leather jacket on slick your hair back light up your cigarette and have a good time like no that doesn't happen here like like your best your best friend's probably gonna die someone's gonna you know tragically get you know mutilated by something and i'm like this is my just, goodness it's just a bummer it's just a bummer it's oh just a bummer eyes gouging out in king layer now you know whatever else yeah. you're talking yeah. about i hope you read more content this year i read a lot of books that are big bummers and i don't like it yeah. well maybe was it more or less of, of a bummer than catch 22 yeah on a scale mm, of one a to point. ten, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. probably it's probably less of a bummer, um, but I feel like the I I feel like you connect to the characters a little bit more in the Outsiders, and so it feels like even though the the circumstances around the bummers, um, <laughs> it's more relatable, <laughs> and you kind of feel it more in the Outsiders because of those you that your connection those characters a little more realistic. A little more fleshed out. They were more I, likable than absolutely. What's his name? What was his absolutely. name? What even was his name in Catch Twenty Two? Yosarian. Yosarian. Yeah. I was like I can yeah. cannot even remember the character's name. Definitely don't read Catch Twenty Two in twenty twenty two. Am I right? Ah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> don't do that. That's funny. <laughs> That's a good joke. <laughs> 
That's really good. Um, I <laughs> when I was going through my list, I found that I I'd read a lot of similar stuff. I could talk about how I like mysteries, and I read a decent amount of um, historical fiction. And a lot of the historical fiction that I read was World War II and during that era. And I know Jen likes um, books from that time period too. So three that I would, um, that I'm just going to mention that I read, um, All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Dewar. I believe that's so how you good. say his name. Phenomenal book. That that one's several years old, so that, but that one's really good. More, it's about World War II, but specifically from, it jumps in back, back and forth between the viewpoint of a young French girl and then a young German boy who actually spent spent time in the Hitler Youth and all that. So it's really a really interesting look on it. Um, the Book of Lost Names by Kristen Harmel, and that probably was my favorite of these three. It's about a woman who um, she basically forges passports and like uh, basically fake identities for um, Jewish children during World War II. So they get them out of the country by and she so she forges passports and like all their papers and all that. So phenomenal book and based on true like none of the characters mm-hmm. were a lot were um real but um it was based on like the group of people who did this in this little it was a village in france right jen because i know you read that one yeah. as well i believe it was a village in france where they had record where they um forged mm. all these passports and then the third one um the woman with the blue star by pam jenoff and this one okay this one i'm i guess i'm a little bit ambivalent about because i wouldn't I recommend loved... it i, I... Yes. I, it was good, but I wouldn't, like, put it on a list and say, oh, you need to read this. I, I would have been fine right. if I hadn't. I know that sounds right. harsh, but I mean in the sense that this, not to steal your thunder in any way, Dinah. Yeah, can, it's okay, because I have something else I want to say about it, so go yeah. ahead. <laughs> but basically, Dinah and I had talked about this, too, is that in, in the story, the girl's younger. She's, like, 17. And so I wonder if I had read this when I was in high school that I would relate more to the characters. They just felt a little more shallow, a little more, I don't know, just the storylines. It wasn't as in-depth as reading a lot of other historical fiction. So I wonder if a young adult read it, then maybe they would relate more because they're going through similar seasons of life. I don't know. but No, I think that's true. Are they shallow because they're... Like, are they shallow because they're shallow, or are they shallow because they're 17-year-olds? No, because or seven. That's an excellent point. Like even That's like an excellent point. Yes, that is yeah. a very good point. That's a very good point. Seventeen year olds like, even, are like, shallow. The romance, yeah. It... <laughs> well, because you well you only really know the characters yeah. when they're young in this book. But yeah. the reason mm-hmm. I bring it up because I too I don't think the story itself was great, but it it okay. fascinated me about the about what happened because what it yes, is, is the based, actual history based on a true story. It's based on a group of Jews who survived World War Two. And the Holocaust by hiding under, um, like, in the sewer system in, I believe, Warsaw, Poland. So they spent, like, a couple of years. It was maybe, like, two years that they spent literally Living under the, the city in the sewer system. And so they're, um, and, and even the author, she included the, um, like, the book that she read, the actual um, book. And I can't remember what it's called, but and it gives real-life accounts of these people. And that's how they survived, which I think is absolutely fascinating. So the reason I bring it up was because sometimes bookies, books, even though you don't, love the book it definitely got me more interested in that time period and mm-hmm. i think it's just like wow what a way to survive how, wanting to survive so much that you literally lived in the sewer system for two years which mm-hmm. i thought was absolutely incredible so that was my world war ii fiction jen you read some other world war ii um books yeah. right yes i i did i read a few and one that i would also recommend is the book of lost names dine and i read that together so we have our own little book club on the side <laughs> where we read some <laughs> books together during the year. So that was one we read together and we both agreed that it was probably one of the best historical fiction books I've read in the last few years. So I definitely just recommend um, anything that makes me want to do more research. This is actually a problem I have when both watching movies and reading books. I have a hard time getting through it because I'm so fascinated by the history. Like I literally am like pausing mm-hmm. and like doing more research. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love that. But and then another book I read was We Were the Lucky Ones by Georgia Hunter, which was absolutely incredible. And shout out to Pastor Rich Brown, who recommended that book to me, um, <laughs> said I had to read it. Rich so Brown. I said, okay. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, formerly from SoCal. I was like, all right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you don't have to bring that up. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, he had recommended that book to me. And then it was funny because his dad was like visiting in town and then he recommended the book to me. And I was like, okay, I guess I have to read it. Mm -hmm. And so I finally read it last year when I was in quarantine. And it was 
really, really good. I think the basic that I can say that this is a story about family, love, and survival. And I'll just leave mm-hmm. it at that. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, I, I don't really like reading a lot of Holocaust stories because it starts to get a little redundant and tradition. Who has an airplane sad, going like, over their house right now? Okay. That's Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I think Jen should restart okay. that that thing because it was loud. It was yeah. loud. You could tell. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, live in a fly, I live in a flyaway zone okay. and it's okay. such white huh. noise to me. I okay. love the exaggeration yeah, of the war we started, and I, I have literally never heard mentioned it until this point. Uh, really? <laughs> this is the first I'm time I've heard it. Like well, that's the first time that I can remember it, but... Really? Sorry, like, yeah. think of, like, a, a point that, like, made sense and, like, go back to it. Maybe, like, where we... Yeah. Maybe about Rich Brown or yeah. something like that. And, and do, cause that, was, that was really loud. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. This is my This is my everyday life. And I've just gotten really used to it. Um, okay, I'll just we can, and we can I'll cut, just start we from can the fix, beginning. Yeah, we can cut it. Over. Yeah, and can, release it as a blooper because it's kind of funny. No, stay put in. On so, stay put it in. on social media. Put on social media as a blooper because that's actually kind of funny. But <laughs> all right, and don't edit okay. and don't so like I... fix the audio to take the airplane sound out. But we'll cut that and we'll put that and say, look, this is what we have to do. Sorry. Wow. Take it away, Jen. Okay. This is what I've noticed a lot with World War II historical fiction that I kind of have a, um, I don't know, just pet peeve about. It all kind of starts to sound the same. They're like all the same stories that everyone's writing about. And so I like it when when a story that we've heard before is told in a different way through a different lens. And I would say that's how it's done with We Were the Lucky Ones. So, And despite it being World War II, which has a lot of tragedy there is it's a happy ending i think the final scene in that book is one of my favorite scenes that i've read in in world war ii historical fiction it's extremely moving because i've read it too and Mm -hmm. i probably should actually reread it it's i mean it reads like a thriller the stuff that happens to these people is just insane um but even just the title we were the lucky ones you have these people going through all these hard times but yet that's the title of the book and yeah that doesn't give that away (laughs) yeah it's pretty incredible so i recommend that one so keeping what in else? the same you... vein as uh, books that you two have read, I heard you guys had notes on uh, one C.S. Lewis oh. book. We're going to go there? I, I'm i really hesitant to bring this up. <laughs> okay. Because, okay, I will say this. You know we love C.S. Lewis on this podcast. I'm not sure. And I so... him. <laughs> not as much and as Evan of... and I do, apparently. So talk about so talking about something that was like greatly hyped. I expected to love was the space trilogy. So now I, I have not read all three of the books. The only one I read in twenty twenty one was the first one, Out of the Silent Planet. Same. Jen and I read that one together, and yep. it was okay. I will say it was something that's not normally in my genre that I read. Mm-hmm. And I just spoke earlier about how sometimes you have to reread stuff to really appreciate it. And I love C.S. Lewis, so I'm going to say all that stuff just to say that (laughs) I didn't love it. I expected to love it because my friends, Evan and my brother, Ben, like you guys built it up and I knew I loved C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm going to love this. And I did not love it. So can you just give me like 30 seconds? America, listen, listen, America. (laughs) These two are not (laughs) sci-fi fans. And they're not hardcore fantasy fans. So it just... Take that with a grain of salt. Okay. I feel it like makes, this is good, it, though, right? Sense. Because you're going into the other... You'd be going into the next two books. So just give me, like... Give me, like... Give me, like, a quick 20 seconds of each of you for your what your apprehension <laughs> is going into um, Perlandra. Okay. Well, what I'm going to say is I did read Perlandra, and I read that end of last... No, I ended up reading that this year. And maybe it was a book... I will say I liked Out of the Silent Planet better. I thought Paralandra... Like, maybe I was not in the right vein to read it. But I was like, this is all philosophy. And it's so much dialogue and big, huge paragraphs. And I cannot yeah. figure out what is going on. So that one, I definitely... I will reread it. I will read it again. <clears throat> but... So I will read Okay, the take it back, I'm America. It. It's on I'll my take list. it back. It's not just because they're <laughs> not sci-fi fans. They just, they just can't understand in-depth study of the human nature and of humanity. Wow. It was just that must a lot. Be what it, it is was America. a lot. True. I apologize. I think it was oh, because I was not expecting it. <laughs> so I, like I said, I will reread it. Maybe on second read it will be better. 
I, but I did like, after I read Perlandra, I was like, oh, I definitely like Out of the Silent Planet better. Because I thought he did a great job. Lewis did a great job with building a world. So if you guys don't know, basically it's, yeah, it's C.S. Lewis. He writes sci-fi as if, what if someone from our world, our, our planet Earth goes to a different planet. And um, Out of the Silent Planet, it's, um, it's, it, it's Venus, right? Or is it Mars? And Venus in the second one. See, I'm sorry. I don't even remember that. <laughs> They go to a different planet. You're like hurting Ben right now. <laughs> I know. Oh I just keep digging like my whole. All right. Even what is, what's, what's, what's like literally a dagger? What's Jen's heart. problem with it? What's Jen's? Problem yeah, with give it? me your apprehension, Jen. Let's go. Let's hear it. Okay. First of all, the only other sci-fi book that I had read leading up to reading Out of the Silent Planet was Ray Bradbury's Martian Chronicles, okay. and when I read that, um, I obviously didn't like it. I'm just, I'm why, just not, why obviously? it just was, <laughs> have you read it? No, but I want to know why <laughs> have you obviously. Read it? No, I'm just asking, have you read it? No, I haven't. Well, don't ruin okay. it then because I, well, I would, I probably, okay, I'm not, not going to ruin okay, it, but right. I'm just going to say it's very bizarre. They send all the people to this planet where there's aliens and, you know, you think it's the aliens that are going to kill them, but it's actually chicken pox. And anyways, I'm not going to get into it. Okay, so um, you ruined it. Then. But you with... just spoiled it. <laughs> You're talking about spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> no, you figured okay, it sorry, out. Okay, sorry. Keep going. The... But we're talking okay. about Paralandria. Okay. And, and... Oh, no, I've only, I've, only, I've only read the first book. And my hesitancy, hesitancy with going to the second book is because Dinah texts me and goes, I'm really having a hard time getting through this space trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, that doesn't make me want to pick up the second book and start reading. Um, so that would be my thing. And okay, during just the first book, I had a really hard time keeping up with the different creatures. And mm. I I don't know, it just, yeah, I think that was my, my thing. Maybe I just don't have a sci-fi imagination. Hmm. All right, Evan, tell them. <laughs> tell them why they're wrong. <laughs> you have one minute. I, and that's how we're allowing. We, we need a separate minute. episode for this. <laughs> I believe, first of all, with what C.S. Lewis attempts to do in creating a science fiction space exploration trilogy, he, be, he blazes new ground in the formation of um, transportation that is both mechanical and scientific but also biological i think there's something really incredible about his imagination to kind of world build um something that tolkien i think was a little bit um critical of him about and so this is a foray into him building a world building depth creating his own um like lexicon of creatures and places and so I think there's something very special. And that about was that. the greatest part. I will say of Out of the Silent Planet, that was the part I enjoyed the most was the fact of how he learned to communicate with people, how he was able to learn the language. That I thought was the one of the best parts of the book. So I loved that. I could do with way more I, of that than more of the. I think we're spoiled. Agreed. I will say. Right, because we exist in a world where yeah. we have things that fly through the air, and we have a, a telescope that's launched into space that's already like a million miles from Earth, and it's and so he was doing this all from his imagination, and I feel like he right. was, you know, it's the same way that Star Trek, that's like you even look point. at some of the gadgets in Star Trek, they the gadgets still look futuristic and they still feel like they were take you're used hundreds of years in the future or something like that right right so i think there's and, something about it being a trailblazing work of sure fair enough that sets a standard for other things to be built on and again just the world building for me is not to mention the biblical illusions that he pulls from and the imagery that he constantly layers in i don't know if you guys noticed a lot of that but he pulls direct biblical imagery um, right. That's, that's well, Paralandra like... for sure. Mm -hmm. It's like another Eden, basically. So yeah, I I definitely will be reading it again. I'm going to read the third one, and I definitely will be re be reading it again because I really I want to like it because I know I and even though yes, it's science fiction. The only thing really science fictiony about it is the fact that they go to another planet. But once yeah, they're there, that's... it's about the pe the people. I True. say that in your quotes that are there, and like I like that type of stuff. I love different stuff when it comes to I guess aliens or. Doctor Who, anything like that, different planets, superheroes. I like all that type of stuff. So, and yeah. I love Lewis. So I should have loved it, 
even though sci-fi isn't normally my wheelhouse, and I'm really disappointed that I didn't love it. So I really want to like it. You so may I need am something definitely else. willing to be sold. You yeah. may need other uh, some other science fiction to kind of, I think, give you perspective. I think that's beneficial for people. Uh, Anytime yeah. that you venture yeah, into a new genre, true. like, I think you have to have some sort of perspective from another work to, to kind of bounce things off of if that makes sense well what i do have on my well these weren't on my list because they were definitely not the top books that i read but what i did (laughs) i'm like embarrassed to say almost (laughs) what i did read last year was i read some star trek novels oh okay cool and i'm just gonna leave that there (laughs) nerd <laughs> okay, okay. Let me And again I did not include them on my list let me, because they weren't let, the greatest. Let me but wait, I read them. Let me wade in here. I want to say this about the, the space show. <laughs> C.S. Lewis is not a sci-fi writer. We struck a nerve, Jen. C.S. Lewis is not a sci-fi True, writer. Fair I know enough. And you, oh, trust and you, me, I know. And you find did. that yeah. and you, you find that farther you go. Like the third the third book which you guys have read yet is not space at all. It like no at all, mm. um, uh, and you guys will probably like the third book better than the first two because it's much more kind of historical fictiony World War Two, and it's very Kingdom Hearts. I would say like like Evan said in the first one, C.S. Lewis gets picked stuff from mm, all yeah. over the place, puts it in there. You guys will like that one better, uh, but okay. C.S. Lewis is not really a sci-fi writer, and so for me, when it comes, if if you if you think of it in a science fiction framework, it doesn't work that great. Out of the Silent Planet does better. Um, but Paralandra and the and the, the third one, that hideous strength, don't really work so much in a sci-fi context. I think you have to read them again like you read kind of like we read Till We Have Faces and you read the Chronicles of Narnia mm-hmm. and say mm-hmm. the real benefit is when it take he takes his ideas. He's, he's, and here's the thing about science fiction, and this part C.S. Lewis does good. Basically what science fiction does best is it takes like really extravagant circumstances and scenarios that we would never be a part of, that would never happen. Yeah. But uses those things right. to tell us something about human nature and about like humanity. And I think all the yeah, books do yeah. that really well. Yeah. Especially Paralon. See, kind of like fantasy. Yeah, think think about the Paralon. We need they, to talk more about that. Like Paralon, the morality. That's what it is. Yes. It's morality and ethicality and all that kind of stuff. Right. So none of us will none of us will ever be at the Adam and Eve part point in life. There's two people there, we know what happened, the right. story was written. So he goes mm-hmm. to another one and like restarts that. And I won't ruin it. I yeah. won't ruin what happens in the end because Jen hasn't read it yet. But he said, "Okay, so if we went to another world, and we did, and and and, and this all started again, how could that happen differently? What things would be the same, and but then what things could happen could take place and happen differently? And mm-hmm. I think that whole right. thing is a is a is a very good and and through as he goes through it, you start learning about okay about people and about morality and about like right. you start it starts making you think about." Uh, you know, I think that's a, a crazy idea. What if God made other planets with other aliens and stuff? What things about morality yeah. would be the same? What things would be different? And I think that exploration is really good because then it starts to tell, say things about us as human beings. And I think Paralandra especially, right. you can start seeing the, some of the stuff he talks about in his non his nonfiction works, like his theological, like apologetic works. Mm-hmm. You can see those ideas playing out. So he's taking those ideas and now he's playing it out in this like extended parable. And and that's what science right. that's what science fiction does the best. It takes these situations that we would never be a part of, but then throws human beings into them and says, "Okay, now we're yeah. learning something about the human condition with these crazy uh, scenario situations." Wouldn't you say, Evan? Yeah, yeah. That's why you guys are wrong, and we're right. <laughs> I would just say, oh, yeah, that like, hey, hey, when you read them, I would be I'm willing to be corrected. <sighs> Unlike others with crime and punishment, I'm willing oh, to stand. I, I want to be corrected. I that, want to with change that on mind, this. Read them with that mindset, especially when you get to that hideous strength. I think you guys will like that one better. It's longer and it's it's right. It's more drawn out, but I think what you guys it's more like the sort of things that you guys would yeah. read. Um, so okay, I would then maybe we need to revisit like this in 2023, and we'll talk yeah. about it. Yeah, and yeah, like all takes place, like at a British university. Yes. Like that's where most it's of it so is happening. British. So you're fine. It's so British. Well, and the frame <laughs> story of all Sounds of it just is like my, my cup of tea. House. It's like World War II, that era. Yeah. So again, yeah. I should and, love it. So and, that's why I'm disappointed mm-hmm. in myself. And but. I'm pretty sure I, I don't have it. Look, I'm pretty sure all of these were. It was written, written right in like the 39, 40. Yeah, so during, around World, so World right War before II? and during World War II. So World War II hadn't ended. So mm-hmm. he, he had no idea what the outcome was going to be yet. 
Yeah. And that's so, but, but let, let's. Now that so is an interesting. Crazy. We'll that's to come, crazy to think about. We'll have to come yeah, back. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. So in other <laughs> words, I was, I was a bit ambivalent on it. I, I wanted to love it. I really wanted no. to love it, but I just did not love it. So mm-hmm. I was kind of. Sure. I was ambivalent. So sure. anyone else? But I think you have, yeah, look, have let a let me book talk like about, that, right? That you were speaking of books ambivalent, that, ambivalent about. and books that I didn't think lived up to the hype was uh, last year. And it took me almost a whole year. I read uh, Ben-Hur, which is known mm. as a very classic, like, like that's pretty deep in the classic genre, um, especially Christian class. It's like one of the most... I, I, at one point, it's boasted that it, it, it was the most sold Christian book other than the Bible. And when it was written wow. in the early like uh, early 1800s, I think, mid-1800s, into the 1900s, it was super, super popular. So I wanted to read it. It's like a, it's like a kind of a swashbuckling sword and sandal story, but mixed in with the Bible. That sounds great. I love that stuff. Total sleeper. Total sleeper. <laughs> It, I had I had to grind my way through it, and the only reason I, I even finished it when I did is because I got COVID, and I and I read the last like <laughs> three hundred pages of the book when I had COVID. I had nothing else to do, and I got through it, <clears throat> and it was just so. So people, those of you who don't know about Ben Hur, it's it's like you've heard that saying before, probably. Basically, what happens is this guy who's alive during the time of Jesus, and is and it's a story that happens during that time and he kind of cross paths with Jesus multiple times and the yeah. stories become interwo- like interwoven and and you've heard that before about like right I'm trying to think of a good example like historical fiction books all the time where it'll be people that are well, in Well those these... books were mm-hmm. huge for a while like there's yeah. the, the robe is another one for a while those and with the big films about him those were huge for a while Yeah yeah so those sorts of stories mm-hmm. and, but, but but you can hear that in other things like a lot you guys read a lot of historical fiction it can be characters that are wrapped up in these actual historical events but they're fictional right. that's mm-hmm. like a Ben Hur story mm-hmm. uh, so I wanted to do so that so I wanted to read it for that but it was just it was such a sleeper the guy the guy <laughs> took pages and pages to describe every little nook and cranny and all these stuff. And I found out actually later that he'd never actually been to Israel when he wrote the the book, but he spends pages and pages like describing things and just on, and we get this point. I never cared about Ben-Hur or all of his troubles. It was just like, I did not care about him. Like he had a a, (laughs) a really bad life and stuff he went through. I did not care about him. And until I got to almost the end, like the last hundred pages, where he he essentially becomes. Uh, he decides he. They find out that Jesus is around. The Messiah is here, so he begins training an army to help the Messiah uh, claim his throne. And I thought that was a super interesting concept, but I had to go like two hundred, three hundred pages in to get there. And then his story yeah. becomes super interwoven with the story of Jesus. And there's a part where as Jesus is going to the cross, he's there and, and they're they're at the crucifixion. And like when I read that portion, that portion, that part just hit me hard. So the ending was was mm-hmm. was was powerful. And it was because because that's a think about that. Like there had to be people back then who were like, we're going to help the Messiah. We're going to have an army and all that. And then for him to find out that right, that wasn't right, right. the point. When he makes that that, he wasn't that the only realization, one. <laughs> yeah, when he gets that revelation, it's like all that part was beautiful. But to get to that point, like sleeper, did not care about the guy or what he was doing because <laughs> it was just so yeah. long and he was so over dramatic. But once we got to that point, I, at the end of the book, I was like, there's a reason why the Bible is the greatest story ever told. And the story of Jesus is the greatest story ever told. Yeah. Even in this, it, it, it by the end, it helped me appreciate the story of Jesus and the Bible even more. So in that yeah, sense, right. like I love that part, but it, but just to get there was a grind. Such a grind. <laughs> so very, very I'm very yeah, ambivalent I've, about it. I've tried to read that book um, a couple times. And most of the times I think I've only gotten a page or so into it and like other things come up. So I'm going to have to. <laughs> only a page. Uh, Oh, man. Try it again as well. So imagine grinding through um, a whole book and then you don't get that payoff, and that's crime and yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say catch twenty two. Yeah, I was gonna say catch twenty two. <laughs> that too. Anyway, my comments are for crime and punishment. We're gonna get to. Man. Oh goodness. Well, listeners, hopefully you've gotten hmm. some reading recommendations. We've we've had fun talking about stuff, so we're going to start to transition out. But for our last words today, we're each going to give you one more recommendation, one more book that we think that you'll just that you'll like. So, Jen, why don't you start us off? Oh man, there's a few books I didn't get to mention yet. 
Um, I didn't get to talk about A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, but I mentioned that on our classics episode, so I won't mm -hmm. leave you all with that suggestion today. But one book that Dinah and I ended the year with, which I absolutely adored, was a book called Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patty Callahan. And it's basically set in England during the time of our most wonderful C.S. Lewis living at the kilns, and he has just released Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And her younger brother, who is about eight years old, is sick and he's reading this book and he loves it and he tells his older sister you must find out where narnia comes from so she goes on this journey to find out where narnia comes from and she stumbles upon well kind of stalk is a little stalkerish about it but <laughs> warney <laughs> to put it mildly warney comes across her who is jack c.s lewis's brother and she ends up developing a friendship with them and in a typical C.S. Lewis fashion, he doesn't answer a question straight up, but he answers a question with a story. And so she ends up going through this journey of learning all about the different stories that basically sparked C.S. Lewis's imagination. So I'm going to leave you guys with a quote from the book. And there are so many good quotes in this book. And I think, honestly, this book is a love letter to storytelling. And obviously, we all love stories here. So you should definitely pick it up. But I love this quote, and it says... Good stories introduce the marvelous. The whole story, paradoxically, strengthens our relish for real life. This excursion sends us back with renewed pleasure to the actual world. It provides meaning. And I think that's truly what stories do for us, at least good stories. And on this podcast, we hope to continually provide you guys good story recommendations. Awesome. Thank you, Jen. All right, Evan, what about you? Um, my... Big suggestion and talking about perspective when it comes to uh, books on like a universal galactic scale or, or something for science fiction, just giving that perspective um, is going to be Frank Herbert's Dune. And I don't want to spoil much of it, but I really do think if you want something that provides perspective, something that's also, I think it's a little dated. And I like that in science fiction sometimes because of the, the vision um, with what the future could possibly hold. Um, and so I really think that that is a, it's a great, it's a little thick, it's a little dense at times. Um, but there's some really compelling, um, characters, um, some compelling motivations and really just a, a an incredible look at space travel and, and technology in a different way. Um, and I don't want to spoil that too much because that's kind of like the underlying theme of that entire um, series. So check out Dune by Frank Herbert. Awesome. Thank you. Um, well, my final book that I was going to give, because I actually got to talk about a lot of the ones I, I wanted to this episode, was also Once Upon a Wardrobe as well. So that was doubly <laughs> a recommendation. But since Jen already mentioned that one, um, I'm going to mention a series that might seem maybe a little bit funny at first. So this is the one that I'm mentioning. But this year I read, um, for the first time since childhood, I read um, the Mary Poppins books by P.L. Travers. Um, there's a series of them. And I was, I mean, anytime you read as an adult, anytime you read children's literature or children's fiction as an adult, I think it's always an interesting experience because it makes you feel nostalgic you, or you start to realize sometimes the poignancy or how important those children's stories are. And the thing that I just kept getting with Mary Poppins was this idea of supernatural aid and someone in coming in and saving the day when you need the day saved or someone coming in and giving you exactly what you need and changing everything and making everything so much better and bringing order to the chaos. And that's essentially what Mary Poppins does. She would always show up exactly when the children and the family needed her the most and she would bring order to the chaos and she would help the children. And she was she was magic, you know, she's crazy, took them on a lot of adventures, but she was always there to bring order to the chaos. And I just love that so much. And I think that that's something that all of us need in our lives. And um, as Christians, that's what we believe about God, right? That he comes and he brings order to our chaos. And in the middle of everything, he always shows up exactly when we need him. And it's just, it's always just so important to me when we can find like such a deep truth like that in something as simple as Mary Poppins. You know, so I think it just goes with a lot of what we think with this podcast. We're talking about the greatest stories ever told and how we can find spiritual truths um, in the fiction that we read. So Mary Poppins is my recommendation. Benjamin, finish off, off with your recommendation. It's Shane. Shane, for sure. 
Uh, cool. And it's short. You can read it. It's easy. It's quick. It is kind of a boy story because it's about this boy watching these t- these two men interact, essentially. Um, but his mother's in it a lot, and she has a very important role. Um, and I think anybody can can read it and not just – I think it would be especially uh, influential for boys. But anybody can read it and get this kind of like courageous boost, I think. Uh, I once heard that you know in Westerns, the cowboy is always like a you know like a symbolic of Christ, and I was always like, okay, whatever, that's too deep. Uh, but if you read this book, you do get an interesting vibe that there was this this man who came out of nowhere, kind of, um, and and went through this process and was persecuted and hurt, and in the end, um, he has to go and 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 do this courageous thing that nobody else can do. He's the only person who can do it, and he goes and he does it, and he and he. Well, again, I don't want to spoil it, but the, but the end of the book, and it's also the last shot of the movie. Shane is riding off like every cowboy does, and he rides through a a cemetery. And the last shot is him disappearing over the hill, and there's a big cross right in the scene. Um, and so mm-hmm. I'm not taking it far enough to say that it really has to be all that symbolic, but I think it was it was inspirational to me, and I think it'd be it it it, it, it can be important to other readers as well. And it, and it was fun, so I say Shane. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on our quest today to find true meaning in our favorite stories. If you enjoyed today's episode, hopefully you did, make sure to subscribe to The Lamppost in the Woods and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our intro and outro music is called Missing Peace, and it's composed and performed by Jacob Koppel. Jen, why don't you tell us a little bit about social media and where listeners can connect with us and what's going on there? You can follow us on Instagram at Lamppost in the Woods. And for those who don't know, we just posted our season one reading list. So you can see all the books that we are reading for this coming season. And we're excited because we have a fun lineup and, you know, Lewis got his say last season. So Tolkien's going to get a lot this upcoming season. And we're looking forward to that. Perfect. That's a great segue. We're hoping that you're going to join us for our next episode. Uh, So, Ben, why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about in the next episode? Speaking of Tolkien, we're going to read one of my favorite (laughs) books, The Hobbit. This is a beautiful little story, and we're going to take it um, and we'll tear it apart, see what we like, what we don't like, and see how it's one of the greatest stories ever told. Awesome. Make sure you join us for that. And wherever you find yourself on life's journey, we hope and pray that this lamppost in the woods will help guide you towards a more hopeful future. We'll see you next time.